The Welsh Wire, where talent and business connect in West Michigan. The Welsh Wire features moderator Mike Rogers and professional recruiting expert Sherry Welsh in this weekly podcast. Listen in as leaders from a wide array of small to mid-sized West Michigan companies weigh in and share their experiences and insights on a variety of business topics, including employee retention challenges and recruitment success stories. Hi, this is Mike Rogers with another great Welsh Wire conversation. Now, here's Sherry Welsh. Hey, today we're back on the Welsh Wire with our friend Gary Kushner, President and CEO of Kushner and Company, kicking off the new year with a new conversation with Gary. Gary, welcome back to the Welsh Wire. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back, Sherry. Thanks so much for having me. We're glad to have you here today talking about some strategy items. Um, when it comes to running a business as leaders, we are all about strategy, but there is a unique piece of strategy we want to talk about when it comes to human resources that oftentimes gets overlooked as we've chatted about in the past. But there are some trends that are emerging on the HR front that as business leaders and HR leaders too, we want to pay attention to. Um, you've indicated that some of those trends are emerging right now. They're already starting to happen and some are going to come to light. You seem to know a lot about this stuff, Gary. <laughs> so so tell us how it is that you became an expert in HR strategy? Um, I'm not quite sure. (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing it for a lot of years. Uh, I came out of school as an HR generalist. I did my master's in, well, back then it was called personnel, but (laughs) it's now HR. You're dating yourself, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we we had to take notes on our rock pad with our chisels. (laughs) Um, But over the years, as I had a business, Kushner and Company now is in its oh, almost 38th year in, in uh, this year, um, I realized that HR, there was a gap yeah. uh, for a lot of HR professionals between the tactical and operational sides of HR and the strategic sides of HR. Mm-hmm. And in my work experience for the companies I worked for before I started my firm, I realized that I was, in fact, a business leader in that organization, much as the CEO or CFO absolutely, as the chief human resource officer, CHRO. Yes, But the bigger trend that helped me kind of put all of this into context was the shift in how organizations worldwide, this is not just a U.S. phenomenon, how those organizations were looking at creating and maintaining competitive advantage Mm -hmm. in their marketplace, in their industry. You know, if I go way back 100 years, 150 years, we were an agrarian society worldwide. And if I had the best approach, if I had a plow, if I had the tools to be able to properly work the field, I was more successful than my neighbor who did not and was doing everything by hand. That's right. That's how it worked. And it was. Yep. Go through the industrial age. And now we have the growth of, um, you know, all of those things, again, tools of the trade moving us from an agrarian to an industrial society. You go to the manufacturers of, uh, you know, the Henry Ford era who invents the assembly line and 
really doesn't invent it, but is the first to really leverage it for a competitive advantage. There were hundreds of car manufacturers back in his day, but he found competitive advantage in manufacturing processes. Well, over time, other car manufacturers came up with the exact same idea and duplicated it. It was no longer competitive advantage. Move the clock ahead into the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and technology became mm-hmm. the differentiator, my competitive right. advantage. How did I leverage technology? Well, you saw, you remember the pictures of these huge uh, air-cooled computer rooms the size of a warehouse. Uh, if I had one of those things, that, that made me more competitive. Well, by the 80s, 90s, 2000s, Technology was pretty universal. Everybody had access to it. I no longer needed a big computer room. I carried around with me in my in my pocket more computing power than went to the moon and landed on the moon in, in just our cell phones. So technology was not our competitive advantage. The C-suite, the CEOs, CFOs of the world began realizing in the early 2000s, and it continues today, that my competitive advantage are my people. Right. Do I attract, retain, and engage the best possible candidates, the key talent I'm going to need throughout my organization? And if my people are my competitive advantage, what better place than looking at HR strategy? How do I do talent acquisition? talent management, and talent engagement. Right. The most successful firms today, by numbers of research studies, and by looking at the most successful public firms, large, you know, publicly traded firms, Mm -hmm. are those that have figured out how to leverage their people as their competitive advantage. Right. So, so well said. And I'm sure for most of our listeners being leaders in businesses throughout West Michigan, they're saying, yeah, we think we have that dialed in kind of, sort (laughs) of. We get it. But there are pieces, uh, I don't know, we might be missing here. We haven't thought about. But you have really thought about some trends, Mm -hmm. things that are happening right now or starting to happen that we need to pay attention to as business leaders to really leverage that competitive advantage of our people. Help us understand that. Gary, walk us through what your thoughts are on these trends. That's a great question, Sherry. I think there are probably five key trends that we're seeing, either emerging now or have already started now, and some that over the next 5, 10, 15 years, business owners will be dealing with. And the key to me is how do you get ahead of the curve? How do you recognize where things are going rather than being a follower? Exactly. That's so important. You want to be on the cutting edge of this. So we need to listen with keen interest to what you've got here, because I suspect there are some nuggets that'll make a huge difference in our people, our people differentiator as we move forward. So tell us, what's what's the number one on your mind? Um, The first that's already begun are key demographic shifts in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And this is not just in the U.S. It's occurring around the world. It's in Europe. It's in Asia. It's in Africa. It's in Australia. It's it's 
everywhere. And I suspect you're talking about more than the difference between millennials and baby boomers, right, Gary? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, in the U.S., the boomer, the size of the boomer population who are approaching or already have approached re- traditional retirement age, um, and we'll talk about them in just a minute, they're dwarfed by the number of millennials now in or entering the workforce. And so you have these two bubbles on both ends, the uh, more senior end and the more junior end, the younger end uh, of the scales. You're seeing in many places around the world more women in the workplace, Mm -hmm. and you're seeing more educated, higher educated women in the workplace than at any time in the U.S. history and in some parts of the world ever uh, where women were not typically found in the workplace. And when they were, they were not in managerial or higher level Mm -hmm. executive positions. Mm -hmm. It's always amazing to me that uh, many organizations, and I think this is the more traditional and larger organizations, have been the slowest ones to recognize the role that women can play. Mm -hmm. And not as a political or a, a an inclusionary type of approach, but you're, if you don't hire and pro- develop and promote women, you're missing out on half your potential workforce in an era when talent is so hard to absolutely, find. Absolutely, absolutely. So keying into those demographic changes, it's not just a political statement no. about recognizing people from a diversity standpoint, but from uh, an organizational survival standpoint, with talent being so difficult to attract and retain, you better dial in to what those changes are that are happening and find a way to make a space in your organization for those people to join your team, stay on your team long-term successfully. And beyond that, the whole idea behind diversity and inclusion efforts that we're now seeing ramping up, and I expect will continue into the future as, as, as a trend, is not so that we look different by age, by gender, by ethnicity or nationality. Rather, you want diversity and inclusion because I now get better decision-making. I have greater so experiences to draw upon. If all my people look whether they look alike or not, but if they all think alike, I'm not going to get to the best business decisions. Without a doubt, I could not agree more. And it's amazing, you know, a little a side note here, how many organizations, for example, use a standardized testing or a way, you know, you must look like this, you must act this way, this is what we're looking for, we don't. I think to myself, mm, that's not really a good practice, is it? Because diversity in the workplace brings us to some really interesting conclusions, decisions, paths to take the business when we bring all those different viewpoints together. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's really a survival tactic to embrace this trend. It, it, not just survival, but if I figure out how to leverage that, yeah, and use that all those ex- past experiences and yes. the way different people approach business problems, I'm going to end up being way more competitive in my For industry. Sure. For sure. It's Absolutely. a win-win all the way Completely. around. Completely. Completely. You also talk a little bit about the socially connected workplace. (laughs) So uh, tell us about that working outside the four walls. I I suspect this is probably more than social media. It's a little bit more than that. (laughs) 
Well, social media sort of played a role in this, and I find it kind of fascinating. I still have clients that when we first go in, they have an anti-social media policy in their handbook where they say, you you know, or they block on their uh, work computers access to Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat. When I refer to the socially connected workplace, think back. 20, 30, 50 years ago? How did work get done within the workplace, any organization of any size? Typically, I would go, if I had a question on how to do something or what was the best approach, I would go to my manager, I'd go to who might refer me to somebody else in the company, but everything occurred within the four walls of my company. And I, I, I saw the answers. Well, funny thing, the rest of the world has answers to many of those same business problems. Imagine that. <laughs> so my ability to go outside of my four walls and pose a business problem on LinkedIn or a question in a, a, a chat room, a business right. chat room, or in the old days, old meaning like 10 years ago, posted on a bulletin board, a computerized bulletin board, and then see lists of answers. Well, we had that problem, and here's how we began to address it. Or I was sourcing for uh, material, and I'm running into brick walls. How How did you deal with that? What we're finding is, gee, we knew this all along, but what we're finding is the answers don't all lay at the top of the organization, mm-hmm. and I can go outside. If I'm encouraged to do that, as opposed to those employers that say no social media, because I can leverage social media and many other tools right. beyond those, I can be much more effective as a manager and as a business leader than if I require everyone to stay inside the walls. The line I now use when I when I give talks on this uh, part of the topic is how many of those employers still have um, fax policies that <laughs> prohibit you from doing fax. And of course, for my millennial group, I have to explain that faxes were a network of an interconnected network of really bad printers. Right. Is how I share documents <laughs> outside so of the. Uh, uh, outside of my organization, so and of, and nobody does. In right. ten years, nobody's going to have these anti-social media anti. Of I, I can't believe there are too many organizations that are hanging out to those. You think there are? Still. There are. I, if you're listening today and you're one of those, think about that. <laughs> yes, you, you might want to get rid of that. You, think about that. You want the idea that people can access the outside world to help solve business problems for sure. And the other thing that I recognize too in, in that space is that. With that social connectivity comes relationships that are built mm-hmm. between people that is so important to your talent attraction strategy. I mean, we know that the number one source of hire right now for most companies is employee referrals. Absolutely. So if, if you're listening and that's not you, you've got some work to do in that <laughs> regard, right? But but how do employees bring referrals of new new employees to the organization? It's from the network they have of people that they know. If your employees are your best advocates to help you find talent for your organization, you want them connected with people in their space as much as possible so that they will bring other like-minded, great folks into your organization to make it better. You know, Sherry, this is an area that you are absolutely expert in, and it surprises me that people don't realize that. Right. Sometimes business owners 
and senior level managers don't necessarily realize that, but it's, they need to have that aha moment. For sure. For sure. Yeah. We, we have to worry less about protecting and locking down our assets and our people, right? Can't go out on social media. Don't want people to know you're here. Don't want information to get out. You need to be a little bit more open and relaxed about that because it, there actually is a huge benefit to that, but it's a real paradigm shift. You bet. I think in the way we've run our businesses in the past. Yes. So you've also talked about... Um, the gig economy, this short-term micro workers in and out, boy, that is, that's a mind-blowing concept and so different. It sure is. Uh, you know, the old idea of employment was I got out of school, whether high school or college or, you know, a graduate degree, and I went to work and I worked full-time for one employer at a time. Yeah. Um, Today, we're starting to see some of this was out of, uh, it was kind of the uh, merging uh, uh, in time of the recession from about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, where jobs were much uh, harder to find. Uh, The unemployment rate was significantly higher than it is today and than it was in the 90s through the the tech boom. Mm -hmm. And so... What we are now seeing are folks doing what I call acting as micro workers. So I might drive an Uber or a Lyft for a short period of time or do DoorDash. Uh, We're seeing concierge services being offered where um, somebody will run errands for that individual because uh, for an employee or, or somebody. And they do it on their own schedule, in their own vehicle. You know, take a look today at the largest um, hotels in the world don't own a single property. Airbnb. Right. The largest. Talk about a disruptor. A, a, a disruptor. Smokes. The largest taxi service doesn't own a car. Mm-hmm. Um, Uber and Lyft. There are people that are recognizing I'll do short term micro work. Right. As part of this economy. Now, it's interesting that the world is now trying to catch up. Imagine mm-hmm. if I was a taxi driver in a big city mm-hmm. and Uber and Lyft show up uh, at Certainly. the airport to take people into town. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm Hilton or Marriott or Hyatt and Airbnb is taking all of these shorter term rentals right. that would have been hotel stays. So how I have to take a look at this as a as a business owner, business leader, and figure out can I utilize micro workers within the traditional workplace where I just have them come in for very short term gigs, yes. if you will. But when I say the world is catching up, California last month passed a law saying that. Uh, it, it was geared at Uber and Lyft, but it'll impact more than just those folks. That they're employees of Uber and Lyft, not individual contractors like they thought they were. Oh, interesting. So in California, the Uber and Lyft business model just changed overnight. You sure did. Yeah. Um, and we're going to have to watch the rest in the rest of the U.S. and around the world how that reaction occurs. Um, last week I was with a client and this is going to sound like tough duty in Aruba, um, <laughs> which the taxi driver collective was so powerful. They got the Arubian government to ban Uber and Lyft. Oh my goodness. 
Yeah, so, it, it it is changing everything. So as you say, there's a there's an opportunity for leaders to say, how can we incorporate that in our business? But it also, I, I think, begs a question for them to look at what new business models or opportunities can we be offering based on the growth of that micro worker gig economy? Absolutely. So it can go in two different directions, really. You bet. Um, you also talk about machine learning, what we're now uh, talking about famously as AI, artificial intelligence, and how, you know, what what we hear a lot of, what I hear a lot of out there is, oh, all of these jobs are going to be replaced. These people are going to be displaced. You know, humans are going to be gone. Truck drivers, as we know them, are going to cease to exist. Um you have a little bit different take on that. I think I do too, but but talk to us about that trend or idea. Well, someday that may occur, but so let's step back for, from, for about 20 years ago when machines did begin to replace people predominantly in manufacturing and warehousing. Right. Uh, you know, if you go to an Amazon warehouse, they're fascinating because they're these huge million square foot structures with very few people inside. Much of the work in pulling product, people do uh, are involved in parts of it, but a lot of it is done via robotics, similarly right. in manufacturing. And we we all got this idea of, over the last 20, 25 years that that's the extent that machines will replace people. Well, today, um, many of the professional services, lawyers, for example, it takes a lot of hours to research a case, which a computer can do in minutes. Right. And so if I'm in a law firm, as an example, the the traditional law firm had lots of associates just out of just out of law school, who did a lot of grunt work and a lot of hours and learned the practice of law by doing all that research. Well, today, there are machines, computers, that are able to take a case and research it in minutes. Mm -hmm. I don't need the associate. So now if I'm in charge of HR at a law firm, or I'm a senior partner in a law firm, my traditional model of developing associates into partners no longer revolves around research. Now it revolves around marketing. How do they put present themselves to potential clients? How do they deal with clients? And how do I develop them into the next generation of partners in my firm? Right. In medicine, much of medical diagnosis can now be done much more efficiently and with much greater accuracy by machine. Yeah. So it's not just the manufacturing and warehousing sectors that look at machines doing the work of people, but it's coming into all different areas. Where I think we will end up, my belief in, in looking at this and, and looking at the research is that you will have more machines doing work, mm -hmm. but you're going to have people working alongside the machines. And I think that is going to be the case for the next 10 to 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what machines are unable to do is reason. 
this is the thing that I've really do deductive reasoning. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that I have come to learn because there's been a lot of talk in the business that I'm in, in the executive search business about, you know, recruiters will be replaced and there won't be the need because, oh, and that's where I, I strongly disagree. And most of my colleagues would feel the same way because while you can teach a machine to, as you say, scan for those keywords and pull information out, you can't teach it to reason and look at certain patterns mm. within a document that years of experience or understanding bring. And suddenly a resume gets put into a reject pile where maybe there was some good in it and maybe even for a different application. Sure. And that's where some of the reasoning gets missed. Artificial intelligence is never really going to be able to reason the way human beings can. Probably not. I think it can get... It's, it, there are now... Uh, Lots of uh, computer programs that, unfortunately, companies are using just as you suggest. Maybe not at the as much at the executive level, but at the the managerial, mid level, right. and, and and entry levels in companies where that's all they're doing. They're scanning an application. They're scanning a resume. They're looking at keywords. To me, that's the 1.0 generation it, yeah. of machines. At some point. If machine learning does what it is capable of, there are all sorts of issues around machine learning, unintentional bias being one of them. Mm, yeah. But eventually, do I think machines would be able to present a, number one, a broader pool of potential candidates and maybe help the initial screening and narrowing down? Right. Then right. I see that as a much more viable option, at the end of the day, you're not going to want to do an interview in front of a machine. Right. Oh, for sure. For sure. And then to the flip side of that, every artificial intelligence machine that we build has to be built Mm -hmm. by someone. You know, I had a client yesterday share the story of a piece of equipment that they designed that has been used and used for a number of years and has gone from, you know, from its original size to about a third of the size today and takes a million lines of coding mm-hmm. in order to make it operational. Now, same thing will be true of artificial intelligence. Someone on the back end is developing that coding and those algorithms and those systems to put that into place. Well, it's going to be interesting because we now are at a stage, just the very beginnings where machines can actually code themselves. <laughs> so uh, there was, a, if if you're interested, there was a wonderful um, short 20, 30 minute program on Netflix called Explained. And one of their episodes is on coding. And mach- the true idea of machine uh, learning were machines programming themselves by people giving them input. <gasps> So I would highly uh, encourage any Netflix subscriber to yeah, uh, take to a look check at it that, out. Uh, that uh, episode of, uh, of Explained is the name of the show yeah. on coding. This was a huge leap. The first machines that could self-code. Interesting. And that's going to develop as well. Sure. It'll, I still don't believe it will fully replace people. I think you will still have... Uh, needs. I think you're going to have to redevelop people in certain positions mm-hmm. to be able to do different things. For example, to work 
more closely with a machine. Right. But down the road, I don't see where none of us work. You know, the the yeah. wall-e world uh, right. from the movie. Right. Um, I just don't see that occurring. No, no. So all this to say, as owners and as leaders, we've got to really dial into these trends in HR, from a strategy standpoint, look at how we are working with our people, developing our people, recognizing what they mean to the organization, what they could mean in the future, and being very strategic about how we make a move or change our plans to incorporate the future of work. So tell us more and wrapping up about that. Gary. Absolutely. Um as long as people are our biggest competitive advantage, the business owner, the senior leaders in the organization that recognize that and leverage it on talent acquisition by understanding the hire for skill versus hire for fit mm-hmm. and how do I make that work. Yeah, it's always a wrestle. On talent management, the three key areas – Performance management. Nobody likes their performance management system. And yet it's extraordinarily important to be able to build expectations, make changes and adapt as the year goes through and provide feedback on a constant, not annual basis to employees. How to leverage that performance system in the second area of talent management, which is total rewards. Mm-hmm. How do I develop meaningful, modern compensation, benefit, work-life systems to enable me to attract, retain, and engage my employees? So important. The third in talent management, the third in my triad is uh, learning and development. Learning mm-hmm. are providing the skill sets to let me do my job today. Development is to develop me for that future job. Understanding succession planning doesn't just mean at the top of the organization, but at every critical position within my organization. Absolutely. Probably more important now than ever before because of the shortage of available workers and qualified workers. And the qualified workers is the key. So even if we ever, we're going to have, I shouldn't say ever, we're going to have another recession. Yeah. It's going to come. Right. Um, finding the qualified talent. Talent may get easier to find than today in a 3% unemployment world Mm -hmm. in the U.S. Qualified talent is a whole nother ball of wax. Right, right. And so developing people to be able to fill in, and that succession plan is going to be so critical. And the last piece, talent engagement, How do I engage my employees? This doesn't mean having happy employees. Mm -hmm. That's nice. But all of the research shows that employees that are engaged in companies, if I have three actively engaged employees for every one actively disengaged, I'm 35% more profitable. My productivity is higher and I become more of a market leader in my industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is so true. I've seen those statistics as well. All of this it goes to show that a smart business owner, whether in West Michigan or in Topeka or in Tokyo, is going to think about how they look at their HR or human capital advantage, leverage it, and become the most successful they can 
become. Great advice that you have shared today. It's wonderful trends to really take a look at. lot to absorb here. I just want to encourage our listeners to not be overwhelmed by this, but take a nugget or two and really think about how you can put that to work for you, for your employees, for greater success for your organization. These are trends we need to pay attention to and really figure out a way to make the most of them for the success for all of the folks on our teams. Um, Gary, if our listeners have some questions, they can maybe reach out to you personally through email or your website. Tell us what the best way is to get a hold of you. Absolutely. Thanks, Sherry. Um, our website is kushnerco.com. That's K-U-S-H-N-E-R-C-O.com. Uh, they can email me at info at kushnerco.com, or they can, uh, if they'd like to give a call, uh, our number is 269-342-1700. Thank you, Gary. We're thrilled to have you here as our guest today on The Welsh Wire. Gary Kushner, the president and CEO of Kushner & Company in Portage, Michigan, sharing some wonderful trends that are upcoming for all of us to pay attention to, to make our organizations we lead be the best that they can be. Thanks, Gary. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. This has been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.